Live from ClickOrlando.com, this is News 6 at... This is a News 6 Plus takeover. Here now is Chief Meteorologist Tom Sorrells with Talk to Tom. Sponsored by Greenway Dodge. Welcome back to another edition of Talk to Tom. Hello, everyone. I'm Chief Meteorologist Tom Sorrells from the powerful WKMG News 6. And this is my baby, my pet project, Talk to Tom. Started out back in 2004. During hurricane season is a way for you, the viewer, to call up and we would answer your questions. Then it became just something I did goofing around on Facebook. And then my general manager, Jeff, fell in love with it last year during Hurricane Ian. Um, loved it, thought it should be on every week. And so here we are doing Talk to Tom, taking questions from you, the viewer at home. This week, we're going to be talking about the environment. We're talking about foam, how nasty plastics get into our waterways, the impacts it has on our environment, and one great group that is working to get results. We'll talk about that in the next half hour or the next 15 minutes. But first, as I do every week, I'm taking your weather questions. You can get it on the conversation by going to clickorlando.com forward slash talk to Tom and submitting your question. First question this week comes to us from our friend Andrea, who has submitted a lot of questions. Thank you, Andrea. Question this week is, what is your preferred spaghetti tracking model for the hurricanes? Which one is the most accurate? Okay, there's a plethora. 20 to 30 different models. I don't know. I lost count because I play with the main ones. Normally, you'll hear people debating the talk between the GFS and the Euro. Year in and year out, Andrea, the, in the last decade, it's all been the Euro all the time that people want to focus on. But the GFS, the American model, is a good model as well. And um, my favorite model is what we call an ensemble model. It takes numbers from the GFS, the Euro, and other statistical models and other dynamical mo dynamic models and runs them all together. And it's an ensemble model called the TVCN. I refer to it as the TVCon. If you're ever watching, um, I'll point to it. And I'll say, look, this is where the TVCon goes. That's my favorite model. Watch for that. The reason I fell in love with it is because I find it to be the most accurate. And I really believe in my heart of hearts, even though they won't say it, um, that the Hurricane Center follows the TVCon almost dead on for their track. Uh, Jamie Rome has never told me that. Um, the directors have never said, oh, and by the way, TVCon. But I think, honest to goodness, that's what happens. I think they look at the TVCon as much as I do, consider some other factors and, and are pretty close to it. I really think that's what happens. So watch for that, um, TVCN, TVCon, as I call it, model. I think that's the ensemble model that nails the track the most. All right. Next question up comes to us from, from our friend Tammy Garvey. Are airports where you get your temperatures and wind speeds from and why not backyards from folks that have ideal space? Okay, Tammy, uh, the National Weather Service does take official reportings from airports, military installations, and also what we call ASOS, automatic sensory areas. So some of those are um, in county places. Some of those are in county regional airports. Most of those are airport readings because you have to have some spot that is doing an accurate reading. They would not want to take a reading from your backyard because they don't know you. You're not vetted and you don't have the exact equipment. Probably don't have it in a white box six feet off the ground that is vented in order to get the temperature. So if you put a thermometer in the sunshine, it can go to 120, 130. If it's posted against your house, and your house is stucco or wood or even brick, your house 
will be hotter than the actual temperature because the sun will heat your house up. The surface you know, becomes hotter than the actual air temperature. So that's not really the real temperature. My black truck gets really hot. So, I mean, what is that, 130 degrees inside my truck? It's not 130 degrees outside. It's like 90, but the inside of my truck is 130. You see the point there. Point being, we have to have official reporting stations, and most of those are at airports. And uh, there is a group called Cocoraz where you can sign up, get the kit, become part of the reporting, and that goes into the National Weather Service page. You can access it there and try to become someone who reports temperatures to them, but it won't be official. No, it will not. All right, our friend Mark, he said the weather portion of the news is very inclusive of the area, but it seems to ignore the rest of the state. Why doesn't the weather include the weather for Tallahassee or Gainesville, Tampa, Miami? Question mark. Okay, Mark, good question. And um, I don't feel like I ignore those areas much. If there's something that is newsworthy, if Miami is having a torrential rain, if they're flooding, we do show Miami. But day in and day out, I don't get my signal to Miami. People in Miami have WPLG to watch, our sister station there in Miami, and Miami is serviced by WPLG. Tampa has any number of good meteorologists on their TV stations there. Some of our weather does come from the West, and I'll say, oh my gosh, in Tampa right now, the West Coast Sea Breeze is there, and I'll show it. I do focus on Gainesville a lot. I have a child that goes to school there. She's a senior, so I've, I've focused a lot on weather in Gainesville and on campus at UF, and I'm always very cognizant of uh, Tallahassee for FSU and Florida kids, uh, Central Florida kids who are there. My main focus, though, is to provide weather information for you, the viewer, in Central Florida. Now, with that said, with that said, uh, I, I do admire the way the state of Texas cares a lot about the state of Texas. We know from consultants and research that if there's something that happens in Dallas, people in Houston care. If there's something in Brownsville, people in the Panhandle care in the state of Texas. They view Texas is one big entity. So I kind of view Florida as one big entity too. I, I'm trying to push that more and more and more as we become more of a, um, you know, a social media kind of provider instead of just an over the air kind of provider. So I think in the future, you'll notice that we do talk more about just Florida, 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 with a true emphasis on coastal Florida, inland Florida for central Florida. But I, be, I believe in the future more and more, you'll hear us talk about Weather in Florida, Florida today, this is Florida. If I'm Florida Tom, look at me, love Florida. Because I do love the critters, I love the weather, I love the seasons, I love it. I love Florida. So I try to do the weather for everyone. And hopefully you'll notice more of that as time wears on. And finally, our friend Susan Bullard says, is it safe to use an umbrella during a storm? Okay, Susan, well, it depends on how stormy the storm is going, first of all. If it's a lightning storm and there's thunderbolts and lightning all around, nothing is going to protect you except staying inside at an enclosed area. Sitting in your car is somewhat safe. Although if you're touching metal and your car gets hit by lightning, it in turn could transfer to you. Probably won't kill you, but might make you wish you were dead. It'll scare the daylights out of you and shock you and freak you out. And you may have some impacts but for the, or effects, but for the most part. Um, using an umbrella during a storm? I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I think you mean during a rain shower. Yeah, it's absolutely positively fine. If you hear rumbles off in the distance, mm, you need to be careful. Get yourself inside. If you're using an umbrella to run your car during the height 
of a thunder and lightning event, you are not safe. The umbrella offers no protection. It probably won't attract lightning any more than your movement or your height will. But you have to be very, very careful. Don't think the umbrella is protecting you from a lightning strike. It is not. It's only protecting you from being wet. So the quick answer is, sure, you can use your umbrella in a rain shower. But during a thunderstorm with lightning all around, just stay inside until it passes. And remember, the key there is if you can see it, you should flee it. If you hear it, you have to fear it. When you start hearing that rumbles of thunder, get yourself inside and wait until the last rumble of thunder has passed for more than 30 minutes. Boom, you hear thunder, start your clock. Boom, you hear a number, restart your clock and give it 30 minutes from the last rumble of thunder until you are safe. Okay, thank you for your questions. Again, to submit a question to talk to Tom, just go to clickorlando.com forward slash talk to Tom. I would love to know what you want to know in Central Florida. And please stick around. We're going to talk about a growing problem in our waterways, how foam is clogging things up and how one organization is helping to change that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk to Tom, everyone. I'm News 6 Chief Meteorologist Tom Sorrells. I cannot thank you enough for being here on this Thursday. Today, we're focusing on dirty water, specifically the foam that pollutes our lakes, our rivers, and our oceans. But it's not all bad news. An organization called Ocean Conservancy is working to get results. They're trying to make a difference and get things cleaned up. The Florida Director of Conservation for Ocean Conservancy, J.P. Brooker, is here to talk more about that. Welcome to Talk to Tom. J.P., how are you? I'm doing great. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. Now, obviously, um, I've said this on TV before. I grew up in the area era of uh, give a hoot, don't pollute. And I grew up in middle Tennessee where we had the ain't no lower class than Tennessee trash. And, and so they were trying to get us to stop you know, throwing things out the window, stop polluting America, stop polluting our waterways and our byways and highways. Let's talk about foam and what a big problem foam is. Define foam for us. When I say foam, what does that mean to you? Well, when I think about foam and uh, when Ocean Conservancy talks about foam, we're really talking about polystyrene. And polystyrene is a type of plastic that's used to make a lot of different products like disposable plates, like cups like other food service products, those clamshells that you often get takeaway food. Mm -hmm. um, and you've seen that foam before. You can see it break down. It breaks down into tiny little bits. And um, those pieces, big and small, can get all throughout our environment, including in our ocean. And that's why we as Ocean Conservancy care a lot about it. We care a lot about removing those plastics from our environment. So it's not just that, but you say it's knives and forks and other plastics too. So how much foam is actually in our waterways? Well, there's foam in every single waterway. Um, coastal waterways in Florida all hold, hold foam. Um, but, you know, Ocean Conservancy has run the International Coastal Cleanup since 1986. Oh, wow. And our volunteers have picked up um, 8.7 million pieces of plastic foam, plates, cups, takeout containers. Um, and so even smaller foam pieces are, are especially common. Um, and since 2013, we've tracked those types of tiny trash pieces. And we've collected almost... 30 million pieces of foam since 2013. But when you say small foam, what do you mean? 
Well, I mean, um, the foam that we we see shaped in a plate or in a cup is actually made of little individual cells of mm -hmm. this polystyrene plastic, and that can break down. You know, you can rip foam into tiny little pieces, and it'll break oh. down even smaller into smaller pieces. Okay. And so those okay. small pieces can get into the environment and disperse pretty. Quickly. So just other pieces of the big stuff breaking down and, and continue to be a problem. And let's talk about the impacts on people. Um, obviously, it's ugly. No one wants to be in the ocean and have a a rapper come by. How does it impact people, though? Well, we know that um, plastics have an impact on human health, and um, we know that we as human beings are ingesting plastics. We're consuming it in the water that we drink. Um, we're consuming it in beer, it in shellfish that we eat because these plastics bioaccumulate in some of our food. And wow. you know, these plastics, especially polystyrene foam, they contain several chemicals that um, are in introduced during the manufacturing process, including PAHs that are toxic to both humans and wildlife. Um, and you know, we understand that some of these chemicals can be reasonably anticipated to be a human carcinogen. Um, so we're really concerned about all plastics. We're especially concerned about polystyrene and the way it accumulates in the human body. Okay, so it, it, the, it, the way it impacts marine life is that they eat it and that we eat them, right? Or does it have other impacts widespread in marine life? Is it shutting down reproduction? Is it making them go away? Or what's it doing? It can impact um, animal reproduction for sure. And actually, there are some unseen impacts from plastics in the marine environment. For example, when plastics accumulate in sand, and again, polystyrene is a form of plastic, it can change the temperature of the sand. Oh, wow. Sand temperature dictates the gender ratio of sea turtles. So if we have sea turtles laying eggs in nests on the beach and the sand is um, the incorrect temperature, we're really impacting the reproductive capability of our sea turtle population. So it's those kinds of wow. external impacts that we're really learning a lot about. And also, as you mentioned, you know, when the animals consume the plastics, the impacts that it can have to their health, you know, is right on the front line. So there are lots of impacts and lots of things that we're studying and all of that can come back and affect humans too when we consume these animals or when we engage with these animals otherwise. Okay, well you were talking earlier, you guys have been around since 1986. So that's a long time. We're talking 35, 40 years that this has been going on. How much foam have you collected from the waterways? It has to be in the millions of tons, I have to assume. Well, Ocean Conservancy has been around since 1972. We're actually the wow. nation's oldest marine conservation nonprofit organization. Um, but we've been running our coastal cleanup, which takes place in 160 countries globally. It happens on the third Saturday in September every year. Um, and so we're collecting trash globally and getting a snapshot of the types of debris that are in coastal waterways, not just in Florida, not just in the U.S., but really around the planet. And definitely we've picked up um, millions of pounds of all types of debris, and we regularly find that polystyrene foam is a significant component of that. One thing about polystyrene foam, it doesn't weigh a lot, right? I mean, it's lightweight. It's, it's, a lot of it is um, consisting of air, actually, air injected into the polystyrene. So it doesn't weigh as much, but it has the same kinds of impacts that the heavier types of plastics will have on the environment and on human health. Do people think they can recycle this? Can it be recycled or not? Or should they be throwing it away differently? Or what, what happens with it otherwise? It can be recycled and converted 
converted into a harder type of plastic, but it requires mm -hmm. a lot of the polystyrene material to make those harder durable plastics. And most municipal recycling facilities do not currently accept foam waste because it's oh. not especially cost effective to recycle. Um, it's bulky, it's lightweight, it breaks apart easily, meaning it can contaminate other types of recyclables. So we don't have a really effective way for recycling polystyrene right now. Um, but one thing we do know is we need um, improvements to our circularity systems, to our waste management systems to ensure that the polystyrene doesn't end up in the environment. And that's really a policy intervention that we're interested in, in, in um, bringing to life in Florida and elsewhere. Okay, a policy intervention you just mentioned. What else can be done to fix this problem? Obviously, we're trying to educate people today to keep plastic out of the water. I, I got to believe that's common sense and, and just laziness that it ends up for most people, they just toss it aside. But what do you think has to be done to fix the problem? Well, you know, we live in a very disposal, disposable um, economy where we think of things as, um, you know, not having more than one life. And what we need to be doing is changing our mindset so that we use items more than once or so that we have items that are more durable and, and we can extract more use out of. We're looking for policy interventions that will help business owners invest in systems that will allow them to move away from polystyrene products and more sustainable products. All right, man, I love the work you're doing. Real quick, how do you get the stuff out? Do you take a big filter or do you take a boat and go out and pick it up, hand, hand pick it up, or do you filter it? How do you get the stuff out of the water? Well, there's lots of ways to pick it up. Um, municipalities like the city of Miami, like the city of Tampa, have boats that go and actually um, filter the water by collecting it um, uh, with these conveyor belts and picking the trash up onto the boat. But really, in our international coastal cleanup, it's blood, it's sweat, it's tears. It's getting out there, it's picking up the um, debris getting dirty, um, getting in the mud, and using our hands to pick up this debris. Um, and, and it's really great to see Floridians come together and actually get out there, get dirty, and pick up our beaches and our waterways. It makes that, a lot of difference. That makes, that makes my heart sore, man. Thank you very much. Hey, J.P. Brooker, the Florida Director of Conservation for Ocean Conservancy. Thank you so much, A, for being with me, but B, for the work you guys do. It means a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, J.P., and thank you at home for watching Remember to keep the plastic in your trash bags. Help JP out. No one wants to go out there and pick up the garbage that you left behind. Remember, you can always join the conversation here on Talk to Tom by going to clickorlando.com forward slash talk to Tom and submitting your questions. You can also watch us anytime, day or night, anytime on News 6 Plus. And while you're there, be sure to check out Florida's Fourth Estate with Matt Austin and Ginger Gadsden. We have some hands-on interactive things like um, uh, lemur feeding. You can do a, uh, a cheetah encounter, which is really cool. Look at you. Wyoming and places where you're pretty. Hi. Hello. I'm going to go nice and low. I'll just open it up and let it fall. Okay. Florida Foodie with Candace Campos and Lisa Bell. We have heard fantastic things <laughs> about your restaurant, the best seafood around. Solutionaries with Lewis Bolden. For decades, psychedelic drugs like MDMA and LSD have been listed as Schedule I drugs. This means under federal law, they currently have no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. But in recent years, the DEA has allowed some scientists to study these drugs as possible treatments for a variety of mental health conditions. And riff on this, where meteorologist Samara Kokinos gives us an inside look at Central Florida's incredible music industry. You can also check out our live cams 
Hundreds of people sit down just to enjoy the beach from home, overlook the city beautiful, or watch the cruise ships come in. It's all available free on News 6 Plus. Just download the app on your TV and start watching.